0: 100% believe that today, in 2024, being honest is a very good way of engaging with a recruiter and a hiring manager. 10 years ago, maybe not. Maybe we needed to be a little bit more, you know, the executive presence back then was different from what's the authenticity that we expect right now. I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. In this episode, we will dive into the complexities of career transitions and challenges and strategies for executives and professionals. I'm Renata Bernardi, I'm the host of the Job Hunting Podcast, and today we're exploring some of the most pressing questions that our listeners have about navigating career changes and job searches. As we enter 2024, I asked the participants of my free Job Hunting Masterclass if they had questions they wanted to ask me that I could address during the masterclass. I asked them as soon as they registered and it really allowed me to think about the slides and my presentation. We had over 300 registrations and lots of questions were submitted. And here's a sample that I believe the answers for will really benefit everyone that's listening. Who are these professionals asking these questions? These are professionals that are in a permanent or a contract job in the corporate, nonprofit, and government sectors. If they are not working at the moment, they want a job like that. They are usually mid tier or executives. They have over 10 years of professional experience. And they probably are getting stuck at some stage of the recruitment process, the selection process, or even stuck in starting their job search. These professionals are all over the world. So if you've attended the masterclass, you probably noticed from the chat that we had people from the US, from Europe, from the UK, and of course, from Australia, because that's where I'm based. And that's really also reflected in my coaching practice. I have clients all over the world. So when did this job hunting masterclass happen? Well, if you haven't heard, it happened on the 31st of January, 2024. And I do at least one every year. Sometimes I do it twice. Last year, I only did it once. Last year, we had over Close to 500 registrations. We have 480 something registrations. This year we had less registrations. We had about 300. And I think the reason why I had less registrations was timing. Last time I ran it in mid to late February, I believe. And this time I ran it at the end of January. And here in Australia, we're in summer. (laughs) And that Final week of January is when kids go back to school, people go back to work. So I think I got my timing wrong. On the other hand, the reason why I really wanted it to be during that week is because it's well researched that that's the most depressing week of the year. I don't know if you've heard about that. From time to time, people write about it around that time. And it's because you get all of the bills from the festivities, you know, all of the credit card bills start coming up and it's three weeks after your new year's resolutions and you haven't started them yet. So that's why I wanted to do it at that time. I like that time. I think I'm going to stick with it. Even if I had less registrations, I like to start the Job Hunting Made Simple group coaching in February. So the masterclass usually marks the start of the enrollment for the Job Hunting Made Simple program. That is my signature program that I run. And if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out, it will be still open for enrollment. So the enrollment will close on the 10th of February, and you can go to my website to find out more. There's a link in the episode show notes. And at the end of this podcast episode, I will be talking a little bit more about it. So I hope that you stick around and listen to it. But let's get started because we have quite a lot of questions, (laughs) And, and I don't want to delay it any longer for you. So the first question that we have is about transitioning to a remote role. And I think that that's a very popular question. So this comes from a listener who is working in biotech, looking to transition to a fully remote role without relocating. I actually have a client that is in that same position. So let's unpack this. First of all, regardless of what you want to do, if you're looking to change roles, you want to leverage your professional network for sure. So regardless of being remote or not, the importance of networking within that industry, in this case, it's biotech. You know, I really suggest that you've really Reach out to former colleagues, mentors, industry contacts, and discuss your situation and what you're trying to do. I think trying to figure out how to find a new job without opening up with a trusted network in confidence is really hard because that network is really instrumental in supporting and advocating for you, maybe even referring you to opportunities. Then I would like you to research and find out companies that have remote work policies and culture. So some companies, even in the same industry, will have a very good, friendly, flexible take on remote work. Others don't. So I suggest looking into companies that have a strong remote work ethos and have shifted to that way of working now with their teams. Then look at remote work job boards. And remote positions in biotech and related fields, of course, that sounds obvious, but I don't know if a lot of people know this, because if you haven't really looked for jobs recently, you probably don't know that even if you go to LinkedIn and you look for jobs on LinkedIn Jobs, there's a search filter there for remote opportunities. So you need to take that filter and see what comes up. And then, of course, if you want to be a remote worker there are some responsibilities that come with that. And one of them is to really enhance your digital presence. So I need to stress the importance of, you know, a strong online presence, especially on LinkedIn, a presence that is professional, that's crisp, that's well presented, creating and updating maybe a personal website, depending on of your area of expertise. If you have a portfolio, you might want to showcase that in that way. Otherwise, LinkedIn can be a good way of creating that portfolio within your profile as well with features and little links that you can add to each of your roles. So the other responsibility of a remote worker is enhancing your skills for remote work and enhancing your home office for remote work. So think about the essential skills that are required for remote work. They usually require a lot of, of course, self-motivation, excellent speaking, communication, the very good use of technology and online systems like Slack or Teams or Microsoft SharePoint. And if you need to upskill on those things, then now is the time. And the same with your office your technology, your Wi-Fi, your computer monitors, cameras, and so forth. Then the interview preparation for remote work will have to showcase that you can well represent the company from home. So focusing on that specific type of interview preparation is important. And finally, I'd like to ask the listener to consider ways of engaging with remote work that are not permanent roles like consultancy and freelance. We have some episodes of the podcast about this. I'm going to write here. (laughs) As you can imagine, this episode is being filmed very last minute, but I want to add a link to a specific episode with the founder of Workling about gig economy and working as a freelancer, as an executive freelancer, which I think is a different type of freelancing that people are not very aware of yet. But it's coming, it's trending, and it's important for you to know. Okay, so that was the first question. Let's look into a second question, which is, presenting past leadership experience. So this question comes from a solo parent who paused their executive career and is now looking to re-enter that space. That person has kept working in senior roles, but I'm assuming that from a very fast lane, ambitious lane, they went into a slow lane, which is very common for on the period where you're you know raising kids, especially if you're a solo parent. And now you're going, you know, you want to go back into the fast lane again. And that's very common. I went through that. I know many people have as well. So how can they present their past leadership experience as still relevant? Well, first of all, we need to consider, is it still relevant? So we need to be pragmatic. We need to consider upskilling, considering how much things have changed recently. Even if you have been in that fast lane, upskilling is really important for senior executives. You know, the things that I was talking before about a remote workforce really does apply for leaders that want to be high-performing leaders and have high-performing teams and strategies that roll in a way that is so far different from five years ago. So that is important. And also the executive presence that is now required. I mean, if you, I I believe this person watched the masterclass. So if you've watched the masterclass, we have discussed the different trends in showcasing executive presence in 2024 versus things that were trending five years ago. But here are some key points that you need to address, to consider making that move towards fast lane. Again, I'm all for it. So first of all is, of course, highlighting the transferable skills. And I know that this is very basic, but I still need to say it. You need to identify and emphasize your transferable skills that you acquired over these past years, such as you know, strategic thinking, leadership, problem solving, cross-cultural communication, all the important key skills for senior executives. Then in include examples of these skills and how they were applied in different contexts over your career. Then reframing the career gap. You know, it's not really a career gap because you have continued working, but positively frame that as a and normalize that as a normal experience that many professionals have to go through when they're raising a family. And also view that solo parenting experience as an asset. Again, we discussed this in the free masterclass about that need to engage with your authentic leadership, your authentic self, your roots, and demonstrate that as you pitch and go through job interviews. Leveraging professional networks and really finessing and refining your pitch so that they can understand the level of ambition that you have right now and the different stage that you are in your career that allows you to go back into that fast lane and crafting that strong brand that speaks to the roles that you want to apply for. You know, that compelling narrative that really reflects your strengths experiences and how ready you are for those big roles. And again, I think LinkedIn profile really does need to reflect that. So you might need to go back and and redo it considering, you know, the stage that you are in now in your career. All of your application materials need to be updated and tailored to, again, identify what you want. You need to identify what you want to do and then tailor them to reflect that creating that new narrative, that cohesive story that needs to be worked on. So when you're approaching the recruiters, when you're applying for those roles, it's easy for them to understand why you're applying for them. And I guess that's where I will stop because there's just so many other things that you can do. And basically, you know, working with a coach can be very helpful because I have so many more things to say to you. But let's summarize it the points as, you know, highlight your transferable skills, reframe your career gap, update your industry knowledge. You know, you may need to do that. I don't know. We need to understand that. Leverage that professional network to support you and mentor and advocate for you with that story about, you know, this next stage of your career and that you're ready for it. And then crafting that strong brand brand good luck, work with me. Who knows? (laughs) It might be an interesting partnership. Okay, we have another question, and it's about a consistent pathway for a career change. So this third question is about finding a consistent method or a pathway for a career change, and what are the key steps? Oh, boy oh, I have a whole framework to coach you. (laughs) But look, in a nutshell, the first thing you need to do if you want to do a career change is thorough research. Thorough research, you know, is really important because you might be dreaming about a new industry or a new role, but you need to understand the skills and the qualifications and the experience required to go to that next career and you know module two of my program job hunting made simple is all about the different pathways to get there and it's a complex conversation I'm trying to summarize it here for you then you know building that strong network that strong professional network in this new career path that you want to transition into is essential, you know, because it provides expert advice and potential opportunities in this new field. Of course, upskilling, it may not always be necessary to go straight into upskilling. I want, you know, I'm a big advocate for you in terms of stopping and thinking, do you really need to spend all this money? But there are some professions... I don't know if you can hear this but the ice cream van is 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 just outside and there's music here Sorry about that. But going back to the upskilling, there are things that, of course, you need to do if you want to be a financial advisor and you're in Australia. You need to do a specific certification. If you want to be an accountant, there's professional development that you need to do. But there are other career transitions that don't require that. So be very pragmatic about the level of investment and the things you need to do in order to enable that change. And then gain experience. You know, seek opportunities to get practical experience. Experience, even shadowing people in this new career path volunteering finding roles that you can step into in a, you know in a way that allows you transfer to transfer some of your skills and then tailor your applications of course you will need to customize your resume so that the experience that you're bringing into this new path from your past, is highly valuable as well. You need to highlight the transferable skills because you are already an experienced professional, I'm assuming, if you're doing a career change. I want you to not disregard all the relevant experience you have already acquired and find ways to educate your new industry or or sector or path on how important all of those experiences are and how it can really benefit this new organization and this new path that you're carving for yourself. So there you go. (laughs) Research, network, upskill, gain experience, tailor your applications, right? And then we had a question that's very common every time I do a masterclass like this. I I get asked this a lot. It's about the addressing ATS in resumes. And in this case, I think that the question is a bit more creative because it also mentioned LinkedIn profile. So understanding that there are algorithms that will read your resume and your LinkedIn profile. So ATS stands for Applicant Tracking System. And, you know, that that's... Usually what will happen to your resume once you upload it into a job application online, it will be screened by a software before it's screened by a person. And then LinkedIn as well. People think LinkedIn, they need to look pretty just because your friends and family and colleagues will look at it, but that's not true. It needs to be well-written so that it's optimized for searchability so that recruiters and HR departments can, when they're looking for professionals, they can find you. So basically, having optimized resumes and LinkedIn profiles not only help you get interviews from your job applications, it also help you be approached by recruiters for roles instead of applying for roles, right? So you're jumping the, the queue there if you have a good LinkedIn profile. And the first thing that you need to do is analyze the job descriptions. So you need to work backwards from the job descriptions that are interesting for you that you're interested in applying for. So you're regularly not applying necessarily, but at least looking at the job ads in your field, identifying the common keywords and phrases. I was just with a client this morning asking him to do just that, you know, to refine and and make his narrative more aligned with what recruiters use in terms of their jargons. And that is a sign of somebody who is Trying to maybe change sectors, change countries, change industries, or even if they don't want to change anything, but if they haven't applied for a job in ages, they may not know that the language has been updated. I'll give you an example. I'm Brazilian. When I go back to Brazil, I'm often like, oh, I don't know these words or this way of talking. It, you know, like if I'm away from Brazil for a couple of years, I go back and people have changed the way that they talk. And it's the same thing with recruitment. So, Think about that, and about analyzing the job ads. Then simplify your formatting. This is so important. I just received a message yesterday from a good friend of mine who said, oh, you know, can you help me update my resume? I want to potentially move from Word to Canva. And I'm like, no, (laughs) you should only use Canva. If you one want to apply for a job at Canva, or two, if you are a designer, okay. None of my clients sh- should use Canva. I'm assuming most of my listeners shouldn't use Canva because your formatting needs to be clean, straightforward, easy to read by a software resume, avoiding any sort of complex designs or visual elements. No tables, no graphics. I've been saying this since day dot of this podcast. So let's be. Been- over four years. And I kid you not, I kid you not, nothing has changed in terms of the, the resumes that I often get when clients start working with me. And I'm like, oh, my God, you have been listening to my podcast. Have you learned nothing? Sorry, I'm... I'm <laughs> Look, I'm giving you free advice. Just get rid of all those tables and graphics, please. And you will do better. And then come to me with more interesting questions. But of course, if you need help updating your resume, I would be more than happy to help you because my resume is pretty good. It gets a lot of traction. It gets a lot of conversions. Conversions, what are conversions? Conversions are when you apply for a job and you get an interview or a call. You know, that's the first thing that you need to do That's what resumes are for. They are not for you to get a job. They're for you to get an interview. And my format is very good for that. And you can get it, you know, inside my program and I will help you customize it and tailor it to your specific needs as I do with all my clients, group coaching and private clients, of course. Customized content. So tailoring that resume to each specific application is the key to align your application with what ATS has been designed to do. Because every time a recruiter or an HR professional uses that software, they enter specific keywords, their skills and experiences that they are looking to find in the jobs that are in the resumes that are submitted for that job. So tailoring your resume is important. Now, it sounds like a lot of work, but we have a recipe that we use in my coaching that makes it really simple for you to continuously tailor it every time. And I'd be delighted to share that with you. Then engage on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn has to be used actively. It's not something that you set and and forget. You have to demonstrate your expertise. You need to include keywords, skills, do an about section, have a great headline, have a great photo. All of that is important and relevant in optimizing your profile to be found by the right recruiters that are looking for candidates just like you. So yes, understand ATS, remember keywords are important, optimize formatting for both human eyes and bots, and use LinkedIn regularly. Question number five, evaluating your worth and requesting a pay rise. So this question is really interesting because it's from a professional who is taking on more responsibilities at work, and they want to know their worth for a potential pay rise. This is very common. People just start piling up more and more tasks and responsibilities for you to do without giving you a pay rise. What's with that? (laughs) And here's what to consider if you want to evaluate your worth at work and ask for a pay rise. Let's look at these steps. First of all, Research and preparation. So, start by researching the value of your position in the market. Some organizations have well publicized structures, sometimes even with different salary ranges. Usually, government, nonprofits will have that, but sometimes even large enterprises will have that too. So, this will give you a solid foundation to support your request and and ensure that it's a reasonable request. You can also do searches online using forums like Glassdoor, for example, but also talking to people. I think that we need to be more open about salaries uh, amongst colleagues and friends, because if we do that, it benefits us. This idea that it's not okay to talk about money, to talk about how much you earn, only serves the employer. It does not serve you. Okay. Think about that. Just think about what it means for us to say to each other, oh, you know, it's not, it's not polite to talk about your salary. Guess who that's helping? Definitely not you. It's helping your employer. Okay, so I want you to reflect on that and then reflect on also on your contributions. Think about your recent responsibilities. Are you just being given more and more tasks of that same level or are they above and beyond the responsibilities that you took when you accepted your role? And if it's above and beyond your job description, then especially with those new responsibilities that you've taken on, you have more of an argument towards having a pay increase. Then I want you to consider a realistic salary range that you would accept, and this will help you enter into negotiations with a, a goal in mind, right? So be realistic about what you can achieve and be prepared as as well to negotiate sometimes it would be a mix of salary some other benefits maybe a bonus maybe equity if you're in a startup environment so be flexible about that timing timing is important <laughs> timing your requests you know just be careful because companies have some some types of cycles you know sometimes they're going through some sort of financial calendars that just means that even if they want to give you an increase, they can't. Sometimes they're going through financial stress. And again, you know, even if they want, they can't. So just keep those things in mind with the timing of your request and even with the flexibility of your, your request as well. And learn to articulate your value during the negotiation. Sometimes instead of a salary increase, I say a salary Update. Sorry, I'm just sort of not thinking straight right now. It's Friday afternoon as I record this and I think all of my energy is gone. But sometimes it's not so much as an increase. It's more like it's not it's actually below my colleagues average you know I'm I'm paying I've, I've just found out I've been paid less so it's not so much an increase it's just I want to be at par with my colleagues that is very common if you've been in an organization for a long time it's common if an organization has lots of different contractors sometimes they're all doing a similar job but because they have different tenders with different contractors some people are earning more than others it's really messed up I know So do your research, talk to people, reflect on your contributions, decide on a target range that you're comfortable with, and be careful with the timing. And yeah, good luck. I hope it works out. Question number six, let's address a gap in your resume. Addressing gaps in the resume is such a common question. It can be very tricky. But I think, first of all, even though this question specifically is about a 12-month gap, which let's consider it a longer gap, some people get really caught up with like three-month gap. I don't care about a three-month gap. I don't think most good recruiters would care about that. I think that there there could be very good reasons for you to take a break between jobs. But addressing a longer-term gap in your resume really involves an honest and straightforward approach from you, okay? So here are some of my tips. First of all, be honest. Okay. I was, uh, had a conversation earlier today. It's a Friday, the 2nd of February, as I record this. And my first conversation today was with somebody that was going to take a break to do some marvelous travels and ended up, you know, having a very different break where, you know, she was caring for sick family members and so forth. That is so common, you know, to have both a very good break (laughs) and go on, on trips and have a good time and then come back and feel really, feel that it's really hard to job search and you weren't expecting it to be so hard or to take a great, a big break because, you need to take care of family members, take care of yourself. I have had clients that have had breaks to go through, you know, extensive surgeries or recover from illness or be carers or, you know, be parents as well. And I 100% believe that today in 2024, being honest is a very good way of engaging with a recruiter and a hiring manager. 10 years ago, maybe not. Maybe we needed to be a little bit more, you know, the executive presence back then was different from what's the authenticity that we expect right now. So, whether it was due for personal reasons, or study, or travel, or unemployment honesty is the best policy or burnout, <laughs> honesty is the best policy. Then focus on the positives because during the gap, you will gain skills. You will gain wisdom, experience for better or for worse, for worse, you know, participating in whatever activity you had to participate or resting or relaxing or traveling or volunteering, whatever it was, it needs to be mentioned here as well. Explain the benefit, demonstrate how the gap has contributed to your personal growth, your professional growth, or if it wasn't, you know, if there wasn't a professional growth, your professional goals, you had time to reflect. Now you know what you want. So it makes you a better candidate for the job. Keep it brief. That is, oh, I say this all the time keep it brief. <laughs> because when you feel uncomfortable about something, you over-explain and you waffle. I'm not saying you in particular, I think I'm saying most people, okay? So be concise in your explanation, in, you know, the way that you answer if they give you a call or if they ask you in an interview or even in the cover letter or about section on LinkedIn. Avoid over-elaborating on these situations or making excuses. And stay professional, you know? Maintain that professional tone when discussing the gap. Focus on the future, what you want next, and how you're ready to roll up your sleeves and contribute to this new organization and new role. So look, career gaps are way more common than people think. Employers are generally super understanding. Recruiters are awfully understanding they have to be because they talk to candidates like you all the time and many of the candidates that they, they talk to are having a break now want to come back to the workforce it could be have been a short break or a long break but i mean this could be a new experience for you it's not a new experience for the recruiter or the employer okay so be honest focus on the positives explain the benefits of you taking the break Keep it very brief and stay professional. That's a good summary. (laughs) All right, next question. Question number seven, CV format. Is it Word or PDF? I made a joke about Canva and I was super serious about that. But let's talk about Word or PDF because most of my clients who are corporate professionals have a A Word resume or CV that they then PDF and send out. There are times when the instructions ask for a Word document. Have you seen that? I have. You know, it happens because of the ATS software that the organization has that prefers reading a Word document. So the first thing that I'm going to say to this person into you if you have that you're curious about that is you have to follow the instructions the instructions will most likely be there somewhere either in the linkedin jobs ad that you found or indeed wherever you found it but you should go above and beyond and look at the company career page and see that they have instructions there many companies do have thorough instructions there when i'm teaching and i'm coaching i show my clients look you, you you didn't look at this. It's all here. Everything you need to do, all the step-by-step process that it will go through, like large consulting companies will have that. Banks, usually large companies have very detailed instructions in the careers page on their website. OK, so the choice between a Microsoft Word or a PDF format for your resume or CV will depend on compatibility. So PDFs are usually very readable by ATS systems, and they maintain their formatting very well. If you keep that very simple formatting that I explained before, some ATS systems do handle Word documents better, and that's the reason why sometimes you see that the preference is Word when you apply for jobs. Words can be easily edited, so you should always have a master document that is in Word and then you PDF it just before you send it out to a specific job, okay? And that's it that's pretty much it I hope it helps of course you know I have that specific template that I that I have that I like I have templates for a more an American style resume and for Australia UK it's a bit longer so yeah if you want to have access to that you have to work with me I'd love to work with you Question number eight has to do with the duration of the job search specifically for senior roles. I like that it's specific for senior roles because they will be different from the average duration of job search that we usually see published by government departments which is usually around 12 to 13 weeks on average. But then you have to understand that there's a very wide range of jobs and usually clerical jobs and junior jobs, jobs, for example, in retail, hospitality, they will be, quicker to get than, well, on average, I'm saying, you know, not judging anyone. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Even for the entry jobs to get them, I understand that. But if you're at the top of the pyramid, just think about the, the pyramid as a triangle. It's smaller at the top. <laughs> So of course, as you go up and up, it will be there will be less roles and the turnover is not as high as in the junior roles. So finding a senior role that is a good fit for you can be varied in duration depending on on you know different factors, but it would usually be higher than longer than the average 12 weeks. So For the very well-prepared candidates, I'm talking people that are crisp and clear, they have a great pitch, they have a great resume, the LinkedIn is performing well, they know how to interview, the job search for those candidates can last a minimum of four months. Okay, this is for the very well-prepared candidates, but it's not uncommon even for those candidates to have an extended search that goes over a year. Things that can factor in and influence the duration could be the time of the year. You know, if you start looking for a job in late November, or if you're in the US, you know, even if you're looking for a job during your summer, which is July, the demand in your region, you know, so geography plays a hand in that as well. Your experience and salary expectations, as I mentioned before, the strength of your professional network. So if you have a professional network that can vouch for you and and support you. And also if you want to make big changes. So I have a, a client at the moment and I have no doubt, and I know he knows this, that he could have found a job already in his sector that he He has worked all his career, but he wants to change sectors, and that is totally fine. And that's a privilege, and he can afford to wait for longer. He is doing very, very well, actually, you know, really well in terms of getting the interviews, getting to the tail end of the recruitment process, but it's taking longer for him because it's a very big change, so he understands that working with me has Been great for him, but there will still be a little bit of extra time for him to get the hang of it you know, of that new sector, building that network, explaining to the recruiters why he wants to change, the recruiters keeping him in mind. All of that also affects the duration of his search. I can help you with your job search skills. So if the job search skills is what's keeping you, then that's why my professionals that work with me, you know, my clients, that's why they work with me. Because what I want to do is to reduce your search time and help you in ways that you haven't even considered yet, to be honest. And uh, most importantly, not only help you right now, but address your long-term career plans as well. If you're going to invest in a coach, might as well do a very thorough job at that. That's my view. So for very senior level executives, I'm talking C-level, it's typical to spend between six to 12 months in an active job search. So I have a client, we've just started working together end of last year. She's C-level And we've signed up for 12 months because she's currently employed. She's going to start very slowly. She has a strong network. She's going to start very slowly tapping into that network in order to make a transition without stress. And she's working with me on the 12-month retainer. So that's also a possibility. So to enhance your job search, consider the quality and the quantity of your professional network. And think realistically about salary requirements, where you want to work, the current market, the current environment, you know, beginning of 2024, the current market is very sluggish. So I want you to be open to all of those considerations as you plan for your career transition. Remember to be patient and persistent. (laughs) And and look, having a well thought out job search strategy is really the key to finding you a senior role that's a very good fit for you. So I hope that this has helped you thinking about all of those things. I think I'm going to stop at this next one. How long have we gone for? (gasps) 43 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. It's too much. I'll have to record another episode at some other time. It's ready. I have my notes ready. I just didn't realize how long this was going to be. So let's talk about this other one. And let's stop here. I'm sorry, everyone, if you're waiting. Please keep following the podcast so that we can address some of the other questions at a later episode, okay? But here is number one. Nine, and we, that's the last one for today. Balancing authenticity and self-promotion in interviews. Such a good question. Such a tough one, right? So striking the right balance between being authentic and selling yourself in job interviews is it requires a level of sophistication that I know, you know, it needs to, it needs practice for you to get that. So it's in summary, okay, the key is to maintain that balance between being genuine and presenting your best self. You are there to present yourself at your best. They want that from you, but they also want to know that you are a real person. <laughs> so it's about showing your strengths and also acknowledging areas of growth, I remember talking to a client in the U.S. about an interview they had with a very high-profile headhunting company, and they asked him, "Okay, what are your areas of growth? What, what are you working on in terms of your own personal development?" And he thought it was right to say, "Oh no, I, I'm fine," <laughs> and it's it's not right, you know. The right thing to say is, to, "Yes, you know, I these are the areas that have tripped me up in the." Past and this is how I I'm currently addressing it, and these are the things that I want to do in the future to improve my leadership style, to better my results as a team leader or as a project manager, as a financial controller, whatever it is that you are. You have to be mindful of how you communicate your experience and your skills, and be genuine about the areas of growth that you're still working on. So. My, my tips are to first embrace that vulnerability, and I know that that's something new. It wasn't expected of ex- executives in the past, but sharing moments of vulnerability where appropriate is okay now, you know, like dis- discussing challenges that you faced before and how you've overcome them. This shows authenticity and also allows you to make more meaningful connections with the people that you are talking to, okay? This is now a necessary part of job hunting. The other thing is to practice authenticity, okay? So under stress, it can be hard to let your true self shine, and I understand that. So when we are anxious about going into a job interview or talking to a recruiter, we tend to be on fight and flight mode. Sometimes we don't even notice that we become a little bit more aggressive during interviews. Or sometimes we also become very short in our answers because we Can't wait to get out of that. And that is the fight and flight mode being activated in you. So practicing your responses is really important. And that's why working with a coach really helps because I'm going to make it really awkward for you (laughs) if you're working with me. And that is to your benefit because then when you're in an interview, you have your cortisone and your adrenaline are already, you know, all seasoned out. (laughs) That candid discussions of areas of growth that I mentioned before and making genuine connections is, I think, really important for especially senior executives because the recruitment process can be so drawn out and long and you will be touching base with several people at at different times. It can take weeks, if not months, for them to appoint you. And then be a confident communicator is so important and avoid awkwardness and being well prepared is really important. And being well prepared doesn't mean preparing for that specific interview that's going to happen next week. It means being prepared all the time. And that's why in my Job Hunting Made Simple program, we preload a lot of that work so that we retrieve a lot of information out of our brain and put it into words and put it into paper so that you're Even if an interview is happening this afternoon or tomorrow, you don't feel like you need to spend the night preparing, you have that information readily available to you in your brain. So yeah, I I think I would summarize this as embracing vulnerability, practicing for authenticity, and being candid and fostering those genuine connections along the way. And be confident in how you communicate and tell your story. I hope that all of these questions will help you as well. And I hope that if you are here listening and you asked these questions, that you, you know, listen to this big thanks. Thank you so much for sending those questions to me. They are so good. Some of them will become an entire episode because, you know, they require more time for me. But I, I thought that those were good questions to be sharing with you at the beginning of the year. It's only February now. But also because I wanted you to know that if you have more questions, then I would be thrilled for you to share them with me inside the Job Hunting Made Simple program right? If the answers to these questions from today's episode motivate you to work with me and get faster to your next job or the next stage of your career, then yes, job hunting made simple is open, and I would be delighted for you to consider enrolling in it. You can find it on my website. It's renatabernardi.com forward slash jhms for job hunting made simple. And this online course and coaching program is tailor-made for professionals like you. And it's about transforming your career journey, right? So it's a unique program. I have never seen anything like it in the market. It came out of my head. (laughs) And it's from you know my extensive research that I have done for over a decade now, you know practical insights that I've gained from my own career, do's and don'ts, and from helping my clients. M- my journey with this began when I was crafting what turned out to be a winning strategy for my own career advancement and an award-winning strategy when I was an MBA career manager, and today you know i've approached this program with my clients and tested it very successfully with many many professionals so far and since 2024 which is right now i've reached the point where i'm offering the job Hunting made simple program in three different options so you can buy and invest in the in the online course which has seven modules and it will be delivered to you every week for seven weeks and then You can have it for life. You know, it's a self-guided approach. It's a budget-friendly approach. And you can come back to it anytime you want. Once it's delivered to you, it's yours. The second option, which is my recommended option, is the online course, as I just described, plus seven weeks of group coaching. And that starts in February. And last year, I only offered it once, and I don't know what I'm going to do in 2024. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed with outplacement or HR consulting, and I can't run the group coaching again. So if... Now is the time, frankly, if you're interested in working with me and and as part of this group. The group is fantastic. Last year, we had 26 people, and they're all like-minded professionals from Australia, from other countries, many from the U.S. and the U.K. are already registered. And we will have bonus speakers, not just myself. There's this community environment where we gather and meet for our weekly sessions that we have twice a week. And then the third option, and it's very limited capacity, and you very soon understand why, is for you to do private coaching with me, also following the same framework, the seven modules from the Job Hunting Made Simple This private coaching option is good for those who uh, have to be very confidential about their willingness to change jobs. They're not allowed to tell anybody or showcase that they're looking for work. This could be a clause in your contract. It also serves people that have uh, specific learning requirements where working one-on-one with me would probably suit them better. So I want you to consider these three options. And remember that the enrollment is closing on the 10th of February. And that the program will start on the 13th of February, and I don't know if I will be running it again. Definitely, I will not be running it before August, for sure, because I'm already committed with several other projects before then. So, if you are a seasoned professional, this is not for young professionals, everybody. This is for seasoned, experienced professionals aiming for that next big job opportunity or, you know, a promotion or a redesign of their careers. Then this program is specifically designed with you in mind. And I'd love for you to join me and let's work together to turn your career goals into reality. Again, my website is renatabernardi.com forward slash jhms it's all for this episode everyone thank you so much it was a long one and i look forward to seeing you either inside the group coaching or at the next episode bye for now bye